Welcome back to Gospel Rant. We're on the theme, is your church a guilt-innocent church or an honor-shame church? Last time I left off really trying to dig deep into uh, maybe a source of anxiety among millennials and depression among millennials and loneliness among millennials as they have this kind of hybrid honor-shame culture going on with a lot of the power behind an honor-shame culture where you want to avoid being ashamed and you want to pursue honor, where the group actually ascribes honor and restores people to honor, very healthy, very healing. And, And what we have in the United States where we have this tribal culture really defined around social media. And it has some of the elements of honor shame where the players want to be honored. They want to have their their moment in the sun and they want to avoid dishonor and shame and bullying. But the community just really isn't sold on that. The community, social media doesn't intentionally have the backs of hurting people. And, and so it's a source of anxiety for those people who depend upon social media for their sense of honor and worth and glory, significance, security and belonging. Some, I mean, sometimes the social media gives immediately and there's this poof and then it takes it away just as quickly. And it's a source of anxiety. There isn't the stability. There isn't this sense that this tribe, my, my tribe has my back. And a good example of this would be cyberbullying. Cyberbullying is the use of digital communication tools, internet, cell phones, social media to make another person feel angry or sad or scared and usually it's over and over a period of time, again and again. Examples of cyberbullying include sending hurtful text or instant messages, posting embarrassing photos, videos on social media, spreading mean, unsubstantiated rumors online, uh, sometimes anonymously. You do it with cell phones. So you can do it all the time. You can do it 24-7. I mean, you can see the dangers involved if social media which the person inherently trusts turns on them and and becomes an angry force, a destructive force. It's dangerous. Here's an example from Cease Cyberbullying website. DK was oblivious to a website created all about him. For months, there had been a website that made fun of DK and his family. They said things along the lines of that he was a pedophile, he's gay, he's dirty, the website invited others to actively be involved with bashing this boy. Along with the website, people were sending him hateful emails, telling him how much they don't like him. Thankfully, DK didn't physically harm himself like others you read about. I mean, you can see the dangerous potential. And here is a tribe that DK would have trusted in some ways, right? Social media, information's up there, websites up there, emails up there, and it turns on him. It, not a power for restoration, not a power to, to bring significant security and belonging, but to take away. And he has no respite. There's, there's no sense that larger social media kind, compassionate presence that has his back and, and is key to justice and restoration, right? This is a very dangerous thing. So it's it's got... Uh, some of the impetus behind an honor-shame culture without the power to actually bestow honor. So, in some ways, like honor-shame tribal cultures, people are using social media to publicly shame and exile those who break social rules of morality or perceived morality 
du jour it's the immediate corporate court of opinion that determines guilt and innocence, shame and honor. And, and here's the thing. Where do such attacked individuals go to protect their reputation? And who has their back? They can suffer great, debilitating, painful social rejection, which is what honor, shame cultures use, right, to, to maintain the face and honor of the, of the community. But social media hasn't picked up that kind of prowess. And these people can lose friends, their families can be shamed, they can lose their name, they can lose their careers. It can definitely hurt their personal brand deeply. Honor, right? Significant security belonging. It's very dangerous. It's a very big deal. There's no innate empathy in social media or sympathy. Many of the accusers could be anonymous, right? There's no honor there. Zero accountability or even interest in healing and reformation. And look, this is for uh, young adults and for children, but it can happen with adults as well. Ever-present is the underlying fear that social media is going to turn on you eventually. It's going to let you down, betray you. It's going to shame you or at least not honor you anymore. And in fact, might just exile you, ghost you, and your significant security belongings is dissipated, robbed. And where do, you, where do you go to have that repaired? It's out of your control. There is no means of restoration. In honor-shame cultures, there is, like Japan and China and so forth, but not in social media. So where does your sense of worth and honor ultimately come from? What's stable? How do you reachieve your name? There's, there's anxiety there. There's no patriarch or matriarch. Uh, and I mentioned the prodigal father and the prodigal son parable. There's no patriarch or matriarch who's going to reascribe your sense of right. Nobody has that authority in social media. Once again, uh, look. The gospel should be all over this. We churches should be all into this. The full-orbed gospel has aspects of achieved righteousness, which would be more of a guilt-innocence culture, and ascribed righteousness, which is honor-shame culture. It's both. It's not neither. It's both. Jesus lived a perfectly honorable and perfect life related to his Father. For that, he earned all of the honor in the universe. Achieved righteousness. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God said it. And as a result of his work in his life and, and cross and resurrection, his record of achieved honor and righteousness is put into the portfolio of his followers, my portfolio. And my record of not achieving such honor and righteousness, my record of shame and unrighteousness was put into his portfolio. And it's for that reason that he paid the justice due my shameful actions and choices. We call that substitutionary atonement and other names. So, that's all paid for. He got what I deserved and earned. And likewise, I get everything his perfectly righteous actions and choices earn. The full honor and glory that comes with being a shameless, honoring child of God. Right? And this is ascribed righteousness. God ascribes it to me all because of Christ. So here we are. My relationship as a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, is, is now a blend of guilt, innocence, achieved righteousness, and honor, shame, ascribed righteousness. And now it's both. It's an amazing, amazing thing. In a sense, it's what theologians call double imputation, just different terminology. So now God can never judge me again. He judged Jesus already for all of my shame and unrighteousness. Jesus took it on so that I could be ascribed, proclaimed, made a person of glory uh, alongside the source of all glory, Jesus. Right? Guilt, innocence, and honor, shame. And now God must treat me as a faithful child of honor. He does 
treat me that way. That's that's his innate uh, compassion towards me and love towards me and, and honor towards me. I'm not a child on probation. I, I don't need to prove my worth in order to gain anything more from God. My worth, my name has been given to me, ascribed to me in an honor-shame sense. My response to such a gift is to honor the gift with my whole life and being. And, and that's what happens in honor-shame cultures. In honor-shame cultures, gifts create ties of, of obligation. So if somebody gives me something, I respond. It, it's what honor and shame cultures do. Ephesians 3.14 says that God is the ultimate source of honor and worth, or name, from whom all names come. Paul says to the Ephesians. So Ephesians, your name, your sense of significance, security, and belonging really isn't based anymore on whether you do your church plant in Ephesus correctly. It's really based upon God ascribing it to you all because of the work of Christ. And he bestows it to people who don't deserve it. Shamed people, nameless people. That's all there is between Eden and heaven, by the way. The honor, significance, worth, and name that we're all looking for, this isn't just millennials or Gen Zs, it's boomers and Gen X and elders. Uh, the, the significance that we are made for, that something inside of our very being, that image of God, we know is out there, we're longing for, we're looking for it in all the wrong places. It's outside of our grasp. We've already screwed it up. But that sense of significant security and belonging we children of God can actually begin to access baby steps through the Holy Spirit and in our inner being. Again, Ephesians three fourteen to 21. So if we as a church community believe that more and experience that more, felt that more, and, and began to act as if we held this to be one of the highest of all truths, then I believe that millennials would start returning in some numbers. Because where they are right now, looking for significant security belonging from social media, it's a crapshoot. And it's given and taken away. What Jesus purchases for shamed people, exiled people, alienated people is permanent. And millennials, then that resonates with them. They're more shame prone, arguably. And generally, they're desperately hoping that they can find it somewhere. I think they're beginning to see that social media is very hit or miss. Career, hit or miss. Sex, hit or miss. Sexuality, hit or miss. And joining this or that public issue or debate or cause, which comes and goes. And by the way, all of these things can be good, but they're very stingy with significant security and belonging, certainly compared to what Jesus did. So I see this generation as honestly longing for a name, but not sure where to look. And they're not identifying what we're teaching in churches as significant security and belonging. So I would say the gospel is all over this. It's just that we guilt innocent churches, we're just not used to speaking in honor-shame terms. And so we typically lean into, we fall back on, well, you just need to stop doing this and start doing that and poof, you will certainly feel like a person of value and worth and, and then God will, will bless you and your spiritual life will take off. Well, that's very guilt innocent uh, culture speak. And that would include most evangelical churches, I've argued. Here it is. They believe that, that your identity, your sense of significance and value and worth is defined by your achievements, largely, primarily, and your success in doing right. That's very achieved righteousness. And I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying that's one piece of the puzzle. Millennials are intuitively linking honor with a collective identity uh, an ascribed sense of significant security and belonging within a culture, a community. 
social media has many good things, but it really is not a good source for significant security and belonging. So right now, millennials, largely, right, the 68% plus or minus two sigma, and churches, they're talking past each other. So the churches are saying, well, they just need to change. They just need to play ball. They just need to come and participate and join us, uh, say boomer Christians, to which a Gen Y millennial would say, they just need to stop judging me and running people and my friends off. That's about right. So word to we guilt innocent evangelicals, no judgment. But it's as if we've long forgotten that it is the role of the Spirit. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is all over that. So take a look at it. To make us feel the ascribed worth and name of our adoption that Jesus purchased. The ascribed honor that Jesus purchased for us 2,000 years ago. It's as if we've all become functional deists. Again, I'm not casting shade. I'm just observing. And it's one of the reasons that we published the Preaching the Gospel to Yourself prayer card at www.gospel-app.com. It's pretty simple. Each of the four prayers instructs, invites, develops habits for people just like you and me who need to feel just how much God adores us and is proud of us, that my honor is ascribed and I'm actually feeling how proud of me God is. And, and the prayers, each of them pray to the Spirit. It's just a model how to make me feel, to know, to be assured of the Father's love. So I can know the Father's love and not be experiencing it. We'll talk more about that. So the prayers include preaching the gospel to your shame and guilt, to your relational attachment wounds, and even to your addictions. It takes a card from Paul's deck in Ephesians 3 where he models such a prayer on behalf of the Ephesians. How do I ask for power when I feel powerless, right? Think cyberbullying. How do I ask for power to feel God's love for me and others? How do I begin to feel the fullness of God when I feel empty of significant security and belonging, when I feel like I'm alienated, I've been bullied, I've been exiled? It seems to me if we started doing this more at our churches, we would see fruit in worship, prayer, Bible study, witnessing, giving, just saying. So summary for today. Mills and Gen Z have picked up certain characteristics of honor-shame cultures, some, not all, uh, far more than Gen X and Boomers. They are more shame-prone, again, no judgment, more concerned with with needing and gaining respect, significance, security, and belonging than Boomers before them. All want significant security and belonging, but honestly, some more than others. And they are also arguably more concerned and anxious about losing significant security and belonging, uh, or not finding it, particularly related to social media. So they're more anxious, more depressed, uh, more lonely, more into consumerism, workaholic uh, tendencies, addictions, reactionary behaviors. Again, no judgment. It just makes sense. The more we know about brain science. But the gospel, the simple uncluttered gospel, which speaks of achieved righteousness and described righteousness, really should speak loudly to Mills. It should be comforting and attractive and life-changing, transformational. If only we would begin to major on it in our churches, in our worship services, in small groups. All right, in closing, Jackson Wu from Reading Romans says this, quote, Millennials care more about winning praise and acceptance. Previous generations worried about hell, but today people fear the shame of exclusion. How people talk about morality has shifted. Crouch observes in fame-shame cultures, the only true crime is to publicly shame others. Talk of right and wrong is troubling when it is accompanied by seeming indifference to the experience of shame that accompanies judgments of immorality. If we can do this, 
I'm passionate about that. I think we evangelical churches can shift a little. We can add honor-shame language and culture and some liturgy without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, without offending our current congregations, if that's what we really want to do. And until that time, I think the mill exit will continue. All right, more on that. See you next time on Gospel Rant. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.